you told me something that my rookie instructor self would have thought was absolutely bonkers. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Ludicast, the home of serious fun. We're brought to you by Ontario Tech University's Ludic Pedagogy Lab. I'm your host, Rich Little, college instructor and Ludic Lab fellow. Our guest today is media arts instructor, Malena Gonzalez. Malena has a broad international industry background, including positions like creative coordinator and operations manager. In addition to her academic degrees, she also holds several design thinking and problem-based learning certifications. In her spare time, Malena serves on boards for an art gallery and a police society. Today, we're gonna to talk with Malena about injecting fun into lessons by taking the temperature of a classroom, sparking curiosity, and something she does when assessing her students that some of you just might find heretical. Welcome to the Ludicast, Melena. Hi, Richard. Uh, thank you for having me here. Well, it's certainly, it's our pleasure. And what we want to talk about today in the Ludicast is fun. And fun, we know, is an intrinsic motivator. It helps students spend more time on task. Also, fun also means that they'll retain information longer. And one of the things you and I talked about off air was, you know, how important creating a community in the classroom is and how important playfulness is in the classroom. And for our purposes, we say that playfulness is an attitude. It's uh, a playful attitude is what builds community. It also, it lowers student stress because uh, they're more engaged in what's happening and they're less worried about the actual, the actual lesson. And you've, in the, in the little bit of time I've known you, you really strike me as a playful person. You're always laughing and joking and, and teasing. Is that, is that something that um, you've, have you always been that way, Milena? Have you always had a playful attitude or is that something that you've had to work at? So I believe I always had a little bit of that. Uh, I believe when I first came to Canada 22 years ago, I was more shy for sure, because um, I guess in Mexico, I grew up in a bigger family. And here, maybe I got the chance to explore who I really was by myself, right? So, but I, I did find earlier on that um, um, I always smile, even when I was a little girl. So I think that's also maybe a nice breaker for a lot of people, because even if I don't know you, I will smile um, to you. It doesn't matter. So I would say hi on the street. I really appreciate that about Canadians. And I, I cannot adapt not adapted to that, but I embraced that part of Canadian culture into who we, who I was. So yeah, since then I, I'm just, you know, I like having fun. <laughs> I like learning <laughs> and I like having fun too. I think, and, and I guess I never pictured myself on, um, I, I used to have a different career before I came here to, to Canada and I'm happy that I took the route that I have right now, because I don't think I would have been so outgoing as I am right now. And I, I believe I have a outgoing characteristics of a personality. Right. Sure. Yeah. I, yeah. And I, and I, that certainly resonates with me. I, I know that um, smiling at people is probably the first thing that will diffuse a situation. And, and so I, I think it's important to have that playful, playful attitude. Now, is that something you think about in the classroom? And when you're designing lessons, do you think about, you know, uh, that I need to in the classroom or is that just something that comes naturally? No, I, I really needed to develop that. I, I don't think it came naturally. Is I needed to start, I guess, maybe one of the first lessons that I, when from year to year that I start observing when I first started teaching 12 years ago, 
I guess the first year you had a set of students in our program, we see the students for two years. So right. we have two generations at the same time. So you get really the opportunity to get to know the students. So when I start seeing these breaks of students, I realized that what I did one year, <laughs> it did not work the next year. That was one of the first things I learned. I'm like, what's happening? But they had like, they had so much fun last year and it was a totally different set of personalities. And I didn't really, really, I was maybe green on reading the group, right? Okay. So I, I, I didn't know how to, to adapt it basically at the beginning. So one of the things that I implemented right away is I took from industry what we do, do you when we work on a project, at the end of the meetings, do you have any other ideas, suggestions, or feedback? So that's so something that I, yeah, I integrated that in my class. So you're asking students for mm -hmm. feedback from, from them? Yes. Any ideas, guys? So at the end of the class, I always, so this is one of the fun things that I do, maybe, uh, or weird things. Sometimes the students look at me, you're kind of weird. <laughs> I don't know how to read you, especially here in Canada. We have so many different nationalities. So we have to be also aware of that, right? Yes. So at the beginning of the class, I start with a checking word. So <clears throat> everybody says a word. You cannot ask questions. You just say it. You just, you know, this is what it is. And then at the end of class, uh, before the checkout work, because I asked them for a checking, how they were in at the beginning, and then check out. For me, it's a good test because even if they just say water at the beginning, at the end, they might say intrigue. So you know that you might have sparkled something on their brain that changed their attitude. So it's just a very obscure way to ask maybe the temperature of the room. And, and then I always ask them for, do you have any ideas for the class? And then I, at the beginning, they're kind of shy. And then I ask them, well, you can send me an email. Uh, do you have any suggestions? How can I get better or feedback, right? Uh, please. Uh, and sometimes they are brave enough that I say, well, Melina, we really like the activity today. Could we do, could we do more of that? Right. Absolutely, right? And that's when I start getting the feedback ex directly from them. And the ideas came directly from them on what kind of or type of activities I could incorporate on the table for the future. Right, and I guess that feedback, we, we've talked before about fun being uh, amorphous, which means it's hard to get your arms around what's fun to one person and what's fun to another person. So um, some of the people that I talk to talk about reading the room and that's exactly what you're doing with that first word is, is kind of a check-in and see what the temperature of the room is and then you'll adjust as, uh, as you go. And in terms of playfulness, that attitude now, and I know that you are working at becoming playful and you're thinking about being playful, what kind of evidence do you see? And you've talked about checking in at the end of the class with the end, uh, the, the exit word or, or checkout word, you call it, but in between the beginning and the end, what, what evidence do you think shows that your students um, are, are, are cultivating a playful, a playful attitude? Is there any evidence you see? I do see it. I, you know, body postures are very, very good indicator of how they're doing. Sometimes you see them like laying down on the table, right? Or they're just closing each other with their arms. 
so you can see right away, well, they're totally blocked. They're not listening to me. They're sleepy still, they need another coffee. Uh, so those are the good indicators. I say, okay, this is not the right activity. So I ask them, hey, how come everyone is? And so I take them out of that group and I interact with them. I say, how come you guys are falling asleep? What happened? Did you guys go somewhere? And that creates something else. Oh, Melinda, it's just Friday or X, Y, Z. Hey, doesn't matter. Okay, well, let's get up and let's do a whack so we can get, <laughs> or let's go and get a, a, a drink, a juice. So sugar comes to our brains. Right. So as yep. you know, we train them to be at the work. So the work environment always is going to ask them to, you know, have... I, I, I was just just going to ask you that. Is that is that something that you brought from industry in the sense that, you know, the client expects something and, you know, doesn't matter. And I've told yeah. people this. I've t I tell my students the same thing, because when I was in industry, you have to understand your client doesn't care. I mean, I mean, they do, right? They do care, but not that much. So, if if you if you're dragging, um, it's your job to to pick it up. So when you see that, and you mentioned, um, you know, it's one thing when you see the whole group that way, mm -hmm. and you know, if you've got a, a class, whether it's 300 people in the class or or 20 or eight, it's one thing when you see the whole group. You might think that that is something that's maybe in, in the design. But what do you do when you have the one or two students? Like you mentioned, you you took a group aside and, and, and then you're dealing with a whole group. But what do you do when you see uh, one student or two students aren't engaging in that playful attitude, which is kind of holding back the whole the whole class? So some of the times uh, I can see two different maybe scenarios. If you think about it, uh, some of the times I will let them be, right? Sometimes yeah. we need a mental break. Or, or we're not feeling motivated, right? So I, uh, like I said, I'm always very honest to the students. You're gonna get what you put on on this course. If you right. don't any do any work, you're not gonna get anything, right? So they know that they have consequences for their own actions, say. And then when I see them repeating that behavior over and over again, then I do call them or I send them an email. Could we meet for a few minutes? we have an opportunity maybe to discuss why are you so tired right is there anything that i can help you with uh, so trying to be more empathetic towards maybe the student and sometimes they will open them i'm like okay i don't want to know all that but you know when they do that i say okay you know that we have services at school that they can provide you for this and maybe they didn't know that and that was an right. opportunity for them to maybe be aware and take action for themselves at the end of the day yeah, and I think I think empathy is a key word there. Empathy is a superpower. You need to understand because everyone comes to the classroom with a with a different set of circumstances, and like mm -hmm. you mentioned, a different culture. Mm -hmm. And I know I've 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 pulled students aside quietly and said, "Look, you're not here today, mm -hmm. and I need your help. And, you know, because I need you to be here to make the class as 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 good as a class as we can, and that takes all of us. And and you know, if you're fighting it it might be even better for you to just go, right? Like, exactly. I don't need to know what, I don't know, I don't need to know what the issue is. Send me an email and I can't recreate the experience for you, uh, but I can at least give you the Coles Notes versions of what went on in, in class. Because if, if you're just going to be a warm body in a chair, that doesn't help you and, and that doesn't help us, mm -hmm. right? So it's not me, it's not me being upset because the student's ruining what I've done. Um, which is, you know, sometimes the first, especially when you're a rookie instructor, 
you know, I spent all this time and you're not, you're not playing along and all those kind of things. So yeah, I I can, I, I understand that, that, that feeling that sometimes you can pull them out and sometimes you can't. Absolutely. And the other thing that was, oh, just to add something else, if you don't mind. The other thing that I was going to mention is that uh, in our classes with design thinking and problem-based learning, it's all about group dynamics. So I am very, I do share a lot of experiences as teams, how they work. And I, so for example, I'm just a small example of what happened maybe a week and a half ago. I have a student that maybe has personal issues, X, Y, Z. So they had a group project, the whole class, and they were waiting on him on a few things. And they were not complaining because they know I don't like complaints, right? <laughs> <laughs> so they already trained for that. <laughs> They're right. so and, but they, they asked, well, we don't have, we haven't heard from him, what's going on, etc. So I asked them, did you try to contact him? And they're like, no, why not? <laughs> and they're like, so if we're a team, yeah. you need to help your team members succeed. How yes. can you do that? So let's think about the situation. And he's open to the things that happens to him sometimes. So he, we, he, we talk all this, the, the empathy side of things. What is his life looking like right now? So we can be not accommodating to him or anything like that, but how we help him succeed. Right. That he still gets something out of this, of our activity. So in some ways, I, 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 I at least I try to, create some type of responsibility too towards each other to empathy to help each other out always right uh, so that has helped most of the time <laughs> that really resonates with me because it is we talk a lot in in education about teams and team buildings and we tend to do more academic work on that and i don't think you you can learn about teams and team buildings in a textbook but i don't think you can learn it I think you have to do it. And and I do think that we need to do a better job of that. And it sounds like you're working towards that in the sense that we, we can't, we're not responsible for someone else's actions, mm-hmm. but we need to have empathy because we need to do what we can to move the team forward. Otherwise we're limited. Yes. Right. The team, the team is limited if we aren't acting like a team. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so it, yeah. And for me, maybe the, the image that comes to mind when I tell them this story is that I remember going to my first trip to Mexico to see the client and we had the two owners, the vice president of sales of um, implementation and me, right? And I'm new, I'm a month and a half new in the program. So one of the things that I really appreciated from that job that the owner the VP of marketing, they were right next to me the night before trying to do a software presentation to get it ready for the client. There was right. no ranking. Everyone was the same at the same table and we we're just problem solving, like trying to figure out how we're going to do this for the next day because we're trying to sell something here, right? It was it's, it's amazing experience that I had there because I really appreciated what teamwork is all about that was my first experience of having a real team working with for sure and and getting back to the playfulness for a little yeah. bit the the because i mean I've, I've talked to you about it before I, I have i have no real idea what you teach or what what you do in the classroom but every time i walk by a classroom that you're in uh, there's always laughter and, <laughs> and and i can hear it and and it just seems like they're 
in, engage and, and, and that I think, and is that what you're looking for in terms of evidence of, of playfulness that like, it doesn't have to, some classes, some lessons are going to be different than others. Uh -huh. um, so, I mean, laughter would be one thing you've uh -huh. talked about, but you've talked about body language. Um, is there anything else that would be, you know, that you're, you're, you, you're looking for that signal or you're trying to create that, that response? You know, when I see that they're really engaged is um, of the process, when they, we go through the process of design thinking or problem-based learning, they go into research right. and then they come back with idea or their ideas. And I see them coming back excited a and they're throwing ideas and and they're just getting excited oh i found this extra book at the library on resources that i never expected them to see as well so i'm thinking okay this is good they're actually looking better at the problem they're seeing other facets that i even didn't know about it too so they're teaching me something new about the problem that i presented to so those those motivators for them i see them yes they're engaged they like this activity and the last one is the final product. I always um, see the pride on the final product when they do something. Uh, or they happy and they know when they didn't do a good job. Yeah, and I, I think it gets back to body language, voice, tone, and inflection. Mm -hmm. So when they're when it's snowballing, when they are in that 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 discovery, I think, which mm -hmm. is what you're talking about, right? That discovery phase. Yes. Well, wow, I didn't know this. And then you see them talking to other people about it. That yeah. doesn't even need to be you. It can be someone else. And, and quite often I will ask my students, uh, how many people have you talked to about this project outside the classroom? Because that's a, it's not just us, right? That discovery can, can be outside. And, and you find that if they are engaged and it is, um, you know, uh, we're, we're a little bit off the playful topic, but it is something that helps create that that idea because they all feed off each other. So, so playfulness Absolutely. is contagious, right? No, absolutely. Right. As I say, you know, sometimes even today we're having an, a, a discovery session. They, they were researching at home and they came with ideas about, a, they were trying to critique an artistic piece, an interactive artist, artistic piece in a bias, in an accessibility perspective, inclusivity perspective. So when they're going through the ideas, they interrupted each other. They start interrupting because they were excited about what right. they were learning. And then I hear them and then they give me ideas. And I remember a very funny guy from the Texas that does really cool interactive uh, demonstrations. So I remember the video that I showed them and that helped them visualize a lot. And he's very fun too, right? So right. that brought a lot of uh, creativity that or other perspectives that they never saw before and they were learning a lot and having lots of fun because they start adding oh I remember I went to Tokyo once and they added so they they start sharing their personal experiences based on the topic that we were talking about well it almost it almost seems like you're trying to trigger those uh recollections right yes. that that maybe they wouldn't they wouldn't have thought that fit within the context of the of the classroom so I think one of the things that, that might be interesting for, for our listeners is you and I have talked before. One of the things that you've talked about is you need to do some preloading. Yes. Of Okay. So, and then you, you get really excited about the project, but you can't do the project without the foundation. So 
In terms of design, I'm assuming that the preloading, the more academic kind of information is easier for you to design and then the the actual uh, the actual project or the uh, the experiential lesson would probably take you longer. How long? How much longer would the coming up with the project take you than the front end? So you 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 made a good point. Academia like it's right to the point. You go through the, your different resources. You present information. So you take a couple of hours, right? But for the projects, I found it that I think you can take longer and every year if you do same, like the same project but you change it a little bit you learn something new as well to make the project better for sure absolutely so i could be spending i even right now i'm already thinking it's october now sorry no september october capstone for our students starts in january i i'm already since September, I started already thinking who are going to be the people that they're going to be working with the students. Right. Who do I have in the classroom? What kind of skills do I have in the classroom to make a capstone work properly? Right. And then is this client because in our capstone, we see real clients. And right. so what kind of client do I need to find for these students? And maybe clients that they're more patient one year because maybe the students are not that you know, given right. there needs right? to be a fit. No, no, there, there needs to be a fit. You need yeah. to have, which I find is a struggle a lot of times in, in academia, in the sense that any, any, any client will do just find someone from industry. There needs to be a fit. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's important, but you do, is, is there only the one project you do that the, at the capstone or you have other projects mm -hmm. you do throughout your courses, right? Yeah. So how much pre, how much preloading would you do before you would give the students a, a, a project to do? I, uh, so let's say a unit, uh, I'm gonna give you an example. A unit maybe will take, um, in this time around, it took three weeks. So I gave up preloading maybe a week and a half. Okay. And then the last couple, like the last two weeks and a half, right? Or a week and a half, it will be about the project. So I will probably give one third most of the time of preloading and two thirds for the project. Okay. okay. And, and during, during the pandemic, did you find that you were able to do more preloading or give them more responsibility for the preloading? Did you, did you give them so, and that frees up some time if they're doing some time outside of class? Did, mm -hmm. did you find that you shifted a little bit into making them more responsible for, uh, for the, for the preloading? Absolutely. That's one of the things that I, I think I thank COVID because now the expectation is that the student read the material before coming to class or they, I recorded a video, they have to watch it, right? Instead of me talking for 15 minutes in the classroom, just do it at your time. Do you, and I know that's one of the things that, that really, when I started flipping my classroom, it really concerned me was that, you know, uh, how many students wouldn't do the, do the pre-work. And I've, I very quickly realized that there's always going to be one or two. And, and what I've started to do is I've done at the front end of the class, then I've done a quick, uh, a quick activity that is collaborative and that will, if someone hasn't read the material, it brings them, it doesn't give them everything. 
but it brings them up to a level where they don't feel lost. So at least they can engage. They couldn't, they can't engage fully because they haven't you know, done the work or they, they watched the, they watched the video or the recorded lecture while they were doing six other things. And so they only got a little, uh, a little bit of it versus the other students that come and you know, they've watched it because they've got pages and pages of notes. <laughs> Do, so did you, were you pleasantly surprised by the number of students that, that were doing the preloading on their own? I was at the beginning. And because one of the things that happened, let's say now, even in our Zoom lessons, when we're on you know, critical state, right? They needed to come prepared to the Zoom lesson. And they realized that they couldn't talk or contribute anything to the conversation. So I think they kind of felt a little bit ashamed of themselves. So that kind of triggered a little bit to maybe be, be semi-prepared if they were not fully prepared. Right, but you still have that student that doesn't matter, doesn't care. Maybe my mom and dad pay for me to be here. Well, and I think I think you hit the nail on the head earlier that whether whether that's on Zoom or whether that's in the classroom, um, you're going to have those students that check out, and yeah. Yeah, you know maybe the maybe they're embarrassed the first time and they they never make that mistake again. Mm-hmm. But maybe they like you say maybe they just they're they're continue to do that and and you just have to deal with that on a one on one basis whether it's a we need to have a short meeting or because it's not worth our, it's not worth our energy. I shouldn't say that. We only have so much energy we can expend on bringing those types of students back into the, into the, into the fold, which is why fun, building fun into the lessons is so important. There was another instructor that I was talking to that had designed a game uh, that he did over several, several courses or several, several class times. And what he found was, which was a little bit frustrating for him, is the students that didn't come to class would show up the next day because they'd heard how much fun it was, which is great. <laughs> but then but then they come and they're not prepared and they missed the first day. Um, so I asked him a very similar question. I said, what do you do? He says, well, you just tell them that we're glad we're glad you're here. Um, you're just going to have to do the best you can. Yeah. And 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 because of, of the playfulness in the in the in the room. And because of that culture that you talked about, right, in the room, no one, they, they don't feel like they can't try. Mm-hmm. And everyone almost kind of wraps their arms around them and says, let's, let's go. Like you, you may not, you, you may not be as successful as you would have been had you been here yesterday. So I think that's a better problem to have. That, oh, absolutely. That people, yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're coming back because they hear that it was good. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about place. So we've talked about playfulness, which is the attitude, and then play is the action, you know, and engaging in play if it's a game, and it doesn't have to be a game. Um, there's there's all kinds of buzzwords about gamification and, and those kind of things. But any anything that's that's play, and there's a bunch of different ways we could look at that, raises motivation and increases engagement. And And you told me something that my rookie instructor self would have thought was absolutely bonkers. And I would think that not all administrators, uh, but certainly certainly administrators that went through school the same way you and I did, and I can't speak for you, but the way I did, which was traditional classroom lecture, 300 yeah. lecture, right? The, the whole yeah. deal. You, you, you told me that you told your students that they needed to create a way to, invalu- to evaluate themselves in a fun way yeah. And that was the summative, summative assignment. So the rookie instructor yeah. in me goes, that's not possible because those students don't know anything. 
were you doing that right out of the right, right the minute you walked into the classroom or is that that something yeah. that took a little while for you to to come to that well decision? The, the idea kind of was there already from the previous instructor that i replaced okay but i took it further right so one of the things that he did he used to ask them to create games of things that they learned throughout the year so i'm thinking well instead of doing that why they don't create their own evaluation in a fun way whatever it is i don't know what it could be it could be a game like you said i don't care but they need to create their own they're going to evaluate each other with these games and that's crazy right like i mean 10 years ago i would have thought you were nuts and i would have told you were nuts because there's no way there's no way they can evaluate themselves i have since changed my attitude (laughs) (laughs) and and it also shows you it also shows you it's a bit of a mirror because it does show you how successful uh Mm -hmm. you've been so what was your favorite what was your favorite game a summative assessment game that your students uh came up with well they did a scavenger a scavenger hunt I know like, okay. what the heck, you know what? I never thought like wow, like you get the jeopardy type of things or the yeah, because I think we know. talked about trivial pursuits yeah, and trivial right, pursuit. yeah. Yes. So that was how do you of- do a how do you do a scavenger hunt? So they created a scavenger hunt around the college on different stations. So they talked to the library people and they talked to the admin people when they went through the uh, the cafeteria for example so in each station they had like a maybe a different you know design principle or things like that so they had clues of where to go and find other clues as well but they needed to get the right answer so they needed to work as a team to say do you remember this do you remember that so they needed to recall the information and at the end the same students created a quiz uh, like an evaluation rubric for them to say, okay, were you able to find all the stations? Do you have trouble, you know, finding the answer as well as evaluating themselves thinking, okay, how did I did in the quiz? Uh, Yes, I I went through all the questions. I was quick on answering them or maybe not so good personally, but at the same time, they got feedback for themselves. That was smart, I thought, saying, okay, the students are giving them feedback about the experience what what happened here instead of me waiting to evaluate them they took that opportunity to evaluate themselves and i was like that that was unprompted you didn't tell them to do that they just did that on their own wow and and so that would be on top of a project that that you did or is that okay yeah no they have other other projects but that's kind of like i give them let's say you know 10 percent of their final grade comes from that Right. Okay. And how much were you involved in the, like, did they have to run the, run it by you? And like, were there checkpoints that you had to get involved to make sure that it was rigorous enough? Uh, we, we just have, they have the rubric so they know which milestones to hit. Okay. So they, I, when they came, we had different milestones for feedback with each other, right. For uh, another, for feedback in this case, they couldn't test their prototype because they needed to do the evaluation with them, but they needed right. to run through the process themselves to see if this works or not. Right. And, and so I, I have, I want to talk to you a little bit about rubrics because I have a love hate relationship with rubrics because what I find is whenever there's a rubric, uh, students just, they just seek their goal seekers. Oh, really? And 
yeah, if they have a rubric and they know that they need to do these things, I find it, I find that it can take a lot of time to do a really good rubric because mm-hmm. I've switched in my professional selling class. And instead of, instead of calling it a rubric, I just call it a skills inventory. So these are the things, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to hit every skill mm-hmm. to get, to get an A plus. But, and, and I, I really hesitate to tell them how many skills they have to display uh, because especially in a sales situation, it's a dynamic environment and you can't just, for example, if, if the average complex sale, the first contact is 35 questions, quite often I have students and even though I tell them that and I don't care how many questions they ask, it's about the quality of the questions, they're just fixated on, I can ask 35 questions and I get, I get the check. Oh, wow. Um, right. And because they're, um, and I, I don't know, I mean, this is just off the top of my head, but it, it just seems to me they've been socialized to seek those kind of things. Oh. Um, so, so I'm, I'm looking at rubrics and, and I, I, I'm a big, I'm a bigger believer in giving, uh, which I guess is I'm, I'm splitting hairs, but I'm a big believer in giving them very specific instructions that also include a, include a, a self-evaluation piece, critical reflection. Mm-hmm. And then as they move on, they have to, in fact, my students, it, it's funny because this is an industry discussion. Um, my students, they, well, we, so we, I record their, their simulations where they, they're going into, they're going in and they're going to, they're going to meet a, meet a pr- prospective client. Uh, they're going to interview the prospective client. They're going to try and determine what the pain is, what the, val- what the, what the specific benefits are. And then, and we don't go to closing yet, but they have to do a simple close. And so they have a reflective document. They have to, everyone in the class gives feedback on, on a document that they get to take away with them. And it's very simple. It's just two things they did well, two things it seemed they, they were challenged with, one piece of advice for moving forward. And then the student has to, which they hate, they have to watch the video. They have to watch themselves. And it's yeah. just, they're the only ones that can see it, right? Like it's just yeah. everyone in the class sees it, but they can only see the, the video. And then they have to reflect on the on the on the feedback they get from me, as the industry person who, who came from industry, and from the other students. And I'm thank goodness they're there because I only have so much time, and they pick up sometimes things that are subtle that I miss because I'm looking for big things, and and they're 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 subtle. And then they have a very similar document that they have to they have to upload to me that just says after you've looked at everything, all the feedback you've gotten, and you've watched your own performance. What two things resonate with you um, that you did really well? And I always start with the positive because students always yeah. go negative. I think that's human, human nature. And then they have to say, you know, what two things after looking, there's a lot of things, especially in the first one that they'll find challenging, but what two things did you find challenging? And they do that. And then the, the, the third question is, it's very similar to what the other students have is um, what, what two things do you want, are you planning on working on before the next simulation, which may not be the same as the, the top two things they found challenging. And then the final one, which is where the industry piece comes in, is it's what are you going to do to work on those things? Mm-hmm. And quite often students just say, I'm going to work harder on the skills we've practiced in class. And you're laughing you're, you're, you're laughing because your response would kind of be the same as mine. And I tell them the way I frame it is, look, if I'm your sales manager and you're struggling and I come to you and just say, Milena, work harder. You should look me right in the eye and say, I'm already working as hard as I can. 
<laughs> what specific things do I need to work on? So the students have to get back to me with very specific goals. Like I'm going to practice, um, I'm going to practice closing skills one hour a week. And I'm going to practice on my sister or my brother or my dog or my cat. I don't care. But you can't just say I'm going to work harder. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't fly for me. And, and when you're in industry, that doesn't fly either because you only have so many, so much time in a day. If all you're going to do is try and work on everything harder, you're not going to get any better. So yeah. um, I've shifted to that and trying to get away from the rubrics because I find that then they are just asking questions like, what's your name? What's your occupation? What's your favorite color? <laughs> you know? Wow. Okay. And, and I, I think you're right. Is how we also, maybe the rubric, how long do we really think about where do we want to hit? One of the things that I do with the rubrics that I do, so most of the time, actually, one of the other instructors were co-teaching a class. So I thought she has a very organized way to do things, etc. She's one of those type A personalities. Yep. I know that I am not, you know, but it's just like whatever, right? <laughs> so I, I thought, well, one of the things that I will learn more organization or X, Y, Z. So I, when we get to the assignment, it's like, well, how do you want to do it? So I thought she's going to want to do it like she wants to, right? I was like, yeah. you know, Marina, I really like yours. And she gave me an insight. So what I do, we move ahead with the type of assignment that I do. I give, I give them a problem, a scope. Maybe it's right. a design scope or a problem of real life. You know, you yeah. have been hired by X and you have to do this. But I give the problem in a vague scenario that they can have some freedoms of where to go and look for things if they want to go that way. But then the rubric, I give things that I didn't say in the problem, right? So there's like hidden clues for them as well, because sometimes they go to the rubric, other times they go to the problem and they don't care about the rubric. So they might have a great answer for the problem, but right. they never checked the rubric that they needed to submit all these different things. <laughs> so maybe they got a C, but their project was an A plus, but it's still, they didn't follow the indications. Right. And the other thing that I do with the rubric is I, I move them, my satisfaction category is, is the outcomes of the course. They are the outcomes of the course. So what I do, and this is really important, in the exemplary and the superior, I notch other categories into a higher level, level of blooms. So I can go into more of leadership skills or group working skills. Right. So those are the things that you get away from those students that they're just doing the minimal work. They're always going to do the minimal work, right? But they're going to find themselves. So I want to get that A plus. I need to work on my leadership skills, et cetera. And like you said, reflection piece is always, is, is, there should be a must at the end of every assignment to have a reflection piece. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And, and and so I certainly rubrics I think work better in some courses than than Ten others. Ones. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And and I would struggle with that leadership piece because um, there's so many different there's so many different ways um, mm -hmm. to lead. And if it's simply you know the, I could see a rubric saying you know uh, describe the three different or four different types of leadership strategies that we discussed in class. And so they give you the the you know the academic answer. And instead of you know it becomes hard to 
And I think that's where the project comes in because it's, it's more of just, yeah, I know you understand, like, I know you can read it and regurgitate it, but show me that, that you've incorporated it and you can display it in a real situation. Mm-hmm. Because I find quite often, that, that's what we talked about earlier. I find quite often in classes, we talk about those kind of things and students exit into industry thinking they know how team dynamics work. And it's a whole different thing. Well, and you would know that it's a whole different thing when you sit down in front of the client, yeah. right? And when, when yeah. the lights are on and, 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 and you're there, it, it anyway, I, uh, I, I'm still, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about other than I'm still struggling with rubrics because I did lots of rubrics early on and, and uh, students did well, but they didn't do well. They graded well, yeah. but they didn't, they didn't learn. A hard balance. I believe rubrics is a is like a, a specialization on its own in education. There's so many ways to. Re- I, I believe there is very good ways to create rubrics, but you need to spend, like you say, a lot of time. So we can think about those loopholes that the students will find. Yeah, because it's more about growth and learning than it is about mm-hmm. just just yeah. just fitting Quantify. into a box. Yeah, yes. absolutely. And some things you can't quantify. Well, we're, we're almost at the end. I don't want to take too much of your time because I, 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 uh, I just find all the stuff that you do fascinating and I like Thank to understand. You. Well, and I like to understand the reasons why, like the, to me, that's more, more interesting than the finished product is how did you get there and why did you mm-hmm. d- d- do it that way? So my last question, Melinda, is what advice would you give other instructors if they just wanted to, if they heard you and they said, boy, I'd like to do, uh, you know, and I think everyone does some fun things in their classroom now. You know, but I, I do think that we, we can all be more intentional about what we do. What advice would you give people who want to do more, infuse more playfulness and fun into their lessons? Like, what would you, what would you wish that someone had told you coming in? Maybe is a better question. Well, maybe it was, it is more to do, because oh, for me, they say, don't change anything, right? For one year. And then until you get used to the material, you can change it. I'm like, okay. So it was like, sure, it's fine because you're trying to get to understand. But one of the things that I wish people would say to me is, okay, you're going to start preparing all this material or reviewing this material. How can you, instead of one of the mistakes I made is that I wanted to do it all (laughs) at the beginning, right? Maybe you felt stressed or something. Uh, yeah. Yeah, right? So, I felt the same way that it was just, just so much to do. Yeah. Yeah. Just take one course per year at the beginning and really, really start, let's say adding, okay, I'm going to push myself or, you know, motivate myself to think about a, a, a different activity that I can bring at least on every unit, once a unit that is fun and playful. Right. And think being empathetic with the students that you have, get to know your students. Right. Sometimes we're like just seeing the numbers and sometimes you have so many classes you can't. I get it. Maybe do a couple of like better icebreakers so you can understand a little bit better the classroom. That one, uh, try not to expect the same type of student every year, but more than anything, grab one course and make it your own. I think How gra- can you yeah, make- gra- yeah. grab one course and even start lesson by lesson. And you might not get, you might not get the whole course exactly. uh, the way you want. No, yeah, it's how do you, how do you climb when they asked uh, Hillary, um, how did you climb Everest? He said one step at a time. What's it? Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And then you add a little bit and you're going to see that if you start writing those ideas, those ideas are going to cross over to other courses that you teach. 
right? So where, where do you get inspiration from? I had a, the, I was talking to another instructor, the, the one that was using, he uses a Monopoly uh, to teach accounting. And the inspiration came, he was playing Monopoly with his kids and his family. And he just thought, you know, why can't, why can't I do this in the classroom? Um, so where, where do you get your inspiration for, for those type of things? For the students, as I said, the, at the end of the at the end of every class, I ask them any ideas, any suggestions. I did it because of that. That was my well, the industry that I was coming from, but also, well, it was that checking with the client. Any ideas that yeah. you have? Exactly, right? So they're my client. I see the students as our clients at the end of the day. No, you can't say that. I think there's more, there's more crossover between business and education than people like to admit, yes. because, you know, for quite often we'll say, you know, we want to give the students what they pay for. And my first response to that is what, what do they want? Exactly. Right. <laughs> right. Like, how do we know? Like, wh why, why aren't we talking to the students yeah. and asking them what, what they'd like to see more of? Um, and that goes along with talking to industry because that's where the students are going and what skills do you need? Uh, but yeah, it always strikes me as, as funny as that's, um, you know, quite often when I fail and I, and I think you and I might've talked about this and I fail spectacularly, like, right. I will try something in the classroom because I think it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, and I, I may have, I may have missed one little thing that would have made it great. And I tell my students all the time, like, Oh, I just got wrong sauce all over me. <laughs> and then we'll, then we'll back it up and I'll say to them, okay, this is what I was trying to do. How could I have done it better? And, and they will, they will help me fix, uh, fix it. And, and they'll also, that also gives me proof that, Oh, They were listening. Yes, exactly. What, what I was saying, because they couldn't help me fix it if they didn't know anything. Can't always treat students like customers. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're not always right. But then I hate that saying the customer is always right. Exactly. Me too. They're because because they're sometimes not right. they're not. They're right in their own head. Yes. And I have to, I have to decide, can I, can I get there? Can I show them? Exactly. Right. Yeah. But, but there's, there's another part of that phrase that's cut off like most cliches because yeah. the customer isn't, isn't always right. So uh, anyway, but I think, I think we'll leave it there. I, I really appreciate how generous you've been with your time and sharing, uh, sharing what you do in the classroom and how you think about education. Melina, I really appreciate it. No, it was my delight. And yeah, I hope I have somebody got something new out of today's. Uh, well, I think, yeah, I, I, I <laughs> hey, I certainly did. So <laughs> we, we got one. So I will, uh, I'll see, I'll see you around the, uh, I'll see you around the campus. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Ludicast. Make sure to visit www.ludicpedagogylab.com. That's L-U-D-I-C pedagogylab.com to comment on the podcast and for more detailed information about Ludic Pedagogy. Special thanks to Jeff Timischuk of Greenwire Music, who composed the theme for the Ludicast. Until next time, remember, life is short. Make sure to have serious fun.